You're listening to Fair Game with your host, Robert Smith. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Fair Game Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Smith. Today's guest has been booking entertainment into events for over three decades. He's been nominated 13 times for the Academy of Country Music's Talent Buyer of the Year Award, and he took home the honor in 2010. In 2016, after more than 30 years with Variety Attractions, he purchased the company from founder George Moffat. He joins us today from Zanesville, Ohio. Todd Bolton, welcome to the show. Thank you, Robert. Thanks for having me. That's quite an introduction. Thank you. <laughs> well, we, we like to make our, our uh, guests kind of feel like rock stars. Uh, listen, you've been in the game a long time. I'm guessing most people listening to the show know who you are, but for my nine listeners, which is our running joke here on the show that may not be familiar with you and variety attractions, give us a little background. How'd you come to be with variety and, and get into the entertainment business? Well, I was very fortunate variety, uh, came to be back in the early sixties. Um, a man by the name of George Moffat, who a lot of fair people know was in college and George was majoring in the business and uh, he played trumpet in a dance band. And he realized his band wasn't working a lot. So he got the idea to start booking his band. And when he did start booking his band at the fraternal parties, local town festivals and church festivals, all these other bands came to him and said, hey, can you book us too? And that's when the light flipped on about starting a booking agency. So when he graduated uh, in 61, he started Variety. And in those days, basically town celebrations, homecomings were what he was booking. Uh, again, the dance bands, vaudeville acts, circus acts, regional bands. And Variety got into fair business around 1966. Um, George owned a sister company at that time called Nationwide Demolition Derby. And I'm sure you've seen demolition derbies at fairs over the years. It was something new at that time, and it proved to be a big success. Local drivers filled the grandstand every night, and it was a big moneymaker for the county fairs. And that was a door opener for Variety to actually get into the fair business. Um, not a lot of fairs in those days were using national entertainers. They were again using circus acts, automotive stunt shows, smaller Grand Ole Opry acts. But with the demolition derby, it started a relationship with Variety in the fairs. And the fairs would ask George, what else do you have that can fill our grandstands? Mm. And I think about 1969, I was trying to look back and see, the demos running up and down the road and had grown into three crews where we were doing like 110 demolition derbies at fairs per year. And um, George had an agent, Nashville friend, and he said, I got an actor I'd like you to try on the fairs. And it was a guy by the name of Roy Rogers and Dale Evans, who had a huge TV show at the time. Sure. And some of these fairs took a chance on this, and it was just highly successful. They had two shows a day at the grandstand. And I think it was the Bloomberg Fair in Pennsylvania and the State Fair in West Virginia that booked them. And all the shows sold out. They made a lot of money. And that kind of again opened the door for more musical shows at the fairs. And you just continued growing and growing and growing after that. It did. Um, you know, George continued to book smaller bands. And uh, one of those bands was called the Parton Family Band, which included a young girl named Dolly Parton, who was yet to be discovered yet. And he was booking Dolly at these small, again, town celebrations and such. Um, and as they got into the 70s, um, 
things started to grow and grow. And Variety was working a lot of the Lawrence Welk TV stars. Some of the country artists like Bill Anderson, of course, Tammy Wynette, Loretta Lynn, Conway Twitty. Uh, but he also continued to book circus acts and animal acts because his, his, really his love was for the circus. And he developed the relationship with uh, the Walenda family. Going back to Carla, which was Carl's daughter. Yep. Um, Nick, Nick wasn't born yet at the time, but Nick's mother, we were booking Nick Walenda's mother. And then in the late 70s, they were booking a country act named Billy Crash Craddock. And Billy was touring all over and Variety was booking him a lot. And in 1979, his tour manager decided to get into the artist management field. And what he did, he signed a band of management. And one of the first calls he made after he signed them was to George. And the manager said to George, you have been booking Crash Craddock all over the country at these fairs. I just signed a new band. I want you to sign these guys all over the place because I think they're going to change the industry. And that band was Alabama. And fortunately, Variety got involved with them. And that was the beginning of a 40-year relationship with Alabama and Variety. So that's that a, was yeah. that through, it was a good start for sure. Yeah, I mean, those are there's yeah. some really big names, you guys, and even to you know, to be connected with uh, you know, Nick. Nick Walenda, his family before Nick was even born. I mean, you guys go back a long way. I'm curious, um, on an average year, on a non-COVID year, how many acts would you say you book, you're booking into fairs on average over the course of the year? Contract-wise, probably a little bit over 1,100 contracts. Hit and miss. You know, that has grounds acts, grandstand acts, motorsports, and so forth. Right. But yeah, going back to Nick, um, at the IAFE a few years ago, we, our last year in Vegas it was, and Nick came up to our suite and he came in he said, you probably don't remember me. I said, oh my God, how can I not know who you are? <laughs> exactly. <And> he, <laughs> said, <laughs> he said, when I was 10 years old, he said, you guys had us booked at the York Fair in York, Pennsylvania. And what we did at that time, we put the sway pole in the infield and the Walendas would open the show each night of the grandstand. And we had new kids on the block there. And he said, I remember so well, you had 13,000 screaming teenage girls out there wanting new kids on the block, new kids on the block. And the radio announcer came up and said, are you ready for the new kids? Yes, yeah, screaming, hollering, ready for the new kids, screaming, hollering. To open the show, the great will end us. Silence. Everything just went silent because all those screaming girls up. who is that? What is that? <laughs> but once his mother climbed up that pole, you know, and she was 110 foot up in the air going back and forth on that pole. It kind of got their attention. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. So you've definitely booked some pretty amazing acts um, in your 30 years. I mean, you said you're connected there with, you know, Dolly Parton pre-discovery days way back when and, and Alabama. Do you ever, who were some of the best concerts that you booked in that time? And do you ever actually get to see them um, like sit and just enjoy the concert? Well, that was pre-me. That was George and yeah. Nick and Bill, the guys here at that time. I came around in 83. I met George in June of 83. And uh, he put me to work part-time that summer, actually on the demolition derby crew. That's what I did. You know, I inspected the vehicles. I was an official. I red flag, green flag. You got 60 seconds to make aggressive contact. That's what I did. And that started in June. About the middle of August, I had a car hit a log which we set up the track with the log and it sprained my ankle. 
fractured my ankle so that I could longer stand up and wave the flags to be a, an official for demolition derby. So George says, well, how's your right foot? Well, my right foot's fine. Why? He said, well, you can drive me from fair to fair then, you know, till the rest <laughs> of the summer's over. So that's what I did. And I got to see the other side because now I'm going to all the shows with him as opposed to going out doing the demolition derbies. But to answer your question, yes, we go to all the shows. We've developed these relationships with some of these artists because we start booking them when they're in their infancy. Yep. You got to remember that, you know, when they start out, they're baby acts and they've got to play the small fairs, the small festivals. Nobody knows them. They got to get out there and establish that fan base. Yep. And it was a lot harder back in the 80s in 90s than it is today when you've got tv shows you've got social media sure. back at that time you had to go out and play every rural area you could to develop that fan base and that's what alabama did and then we did it again with garth um it was 1989 and george and i were at the york fair and willie nelson was there and joe harris who worked for buddy lee attractions was willie's agent but he also had just signed a new boy named Garth Brooks. Who is that? Never heard George's of him. Motorhome. I know. Back at that time, <laughs> and Joe says, hey, I got a, seat, a cassette here of this guy I just signed. His name is Garth Brooks. And I think he's going to flip things upside down in this industry. Well, we believed in Joe because Joe was a very honest man. And what he told you, you could take to the bank. So he put the cassette in and it played. and It was okay. You know, it was okay. But again, we believed in Joe. Now, mind you, this is September of uh, 1989. So he said, I want you just to take the boy and start booking as many dates as you can on the fairs. So now we start calling our clients in October, November for the following year and say, hey, we got this guy, his name is Garth Brooks. His first single is called Much Too Young to Feel This Damn Old. It's just on the charts right now, but we feel that he could be something very valuable come August, September of next year. And we ended up, I think we had about 55 or 60 of those county fairs took a chance and things just started to explode the closer you got into the next year to July and August. And it was just, it was huge. And I got to spend 35 of those days on the road with Garth and his crew. And I got to see the growth starting in July to August to September. It just kept swelling every night. So quite an experience for sure. I, I can't even we imagine remember. being, to be able to go back and see Garth Brooks in his infancy, you know. $5,000 was... a night. That was it. That was it. <laughs> and a lot of those times in those days, they were doing two shows a day too. Back yep. at that time, a lot of fairs did two shows a day. So but we've been very fortunate over the years to be, like I say, not just those two, but Lady Annabelle, um, Kenny Chesney, um, the same guy who managed Alabama all those years. Later on, we're at York Fair again, and we have Alabama there. And the manager's there that night, and he says to George, I got my new boy here tonight. I just signed him to B&A Records. I want you to take a look at him, and we want to make the same deal we did with Alabama. I want you to take him out and book him on all these fairs. He said his name is Kenny Chesney. So we did, and we booked Kenny. But we booked Kenny for eight years before he launched like he did into the stratosphere. Yep. And he played probably every, every small town fair and festival that we had as clients. And still a lot of those today can say, hey, we had Kenny Chesney here. We had Garth Brooks here. Right. You know, not too many can say that for sure. 
Not very many can say that they got Garth Brooks for $5,000 a night. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> That's, that ain't happening. Hasn't been happening for a while now. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, not at all. And that, so you booked, I mean, some of the biggest acts in the industry. Um, I, I'm curious, over your, your three decades, have you seen a change in entertainment and what fairs are, are needing for their fairgrounds in, in order to entertain their public? Well, yeah, I think I have quite a bit, um, you know, especially with the growth of social media. And again, acts can develop quicker. Artists can sell tickets quicker, thanks to social media. But going back to, let's say, the 80s, where catering was pretty much non-existent and artists needed fed. So what my job was, was to go find a church stand on the fairgrounds who had like a homemade meal, make a deal and say, hey, I need four ham dinners, four roast beef dinners, four turkey dinners, 15 pieces of pie. And can you bring those backstage at 7.45 or eight o'clock? And that was pretty much catering in those days. Right. Where today, most of the fairs have a catering tent set up backstage, it's buffet style. It's a whole different world. So in your time um, as an agent, is there something you know now as an agent that would have been valuable if you'd known it when you started out 30 years ago? Well, I learned two things when I first started out. The first one was subject to change. And the second was hurry up and wait. And that still goes through today, you know, just like it did back then. I didn't understand it back then, but I sure do as the years went by, for sure. You ever wonder what you might be doing if you weren't an agent? I would probably be a fair manager. Hmm. I just like that challenge. And I see that, you know, so many people don't understand that a fair is not just a six-day event. It's a year-round business yep. with the rentals and the different events they have. And God knows what this last year has done to them, having to cancel everything. They had all these rentals that had to cancel, let alone the fair, but everything else. But I wasn't yeah. going to be that. Originally, I was going to be a professional bowler when I was in high school. So. Were you really? Yes. <laughs> we used to take these uh, proficiency tests. And my advisor would say, I don't know what it is, Bolton, but you're going to be in the music business. I think ain't no way I'm going to be a band director. That's not what I'm going to do. That's not for me. But he knew for somehow, and I wish that he was still alive today, that I could contact him and say, you know, hey, Mr. McKittrick, you were right, you know, back when I was a sophomore, you knew this, and I didn't know that. <laughs> and let me and tell you this story about Garth Brooks. Well, I didn't even know it when I met George Moffat, to be honest with you. I mean, I was basically a driver for him. And then I became a stagehand with him once I got healed up. And when I started traveling with him, one of the first trips we made was to Nashville to one of his board meetings. And we went to, it was called the Music City News Country Award Show. And it was at the Opry House. And mind you, I grew up listening to REO, Sticks, Boston, ACDC, Foreigner, Journey. I was not a country person at all. I didn't know the difference between Tammy Wynette and Loretta Lynn. So we go to the show and we're about 10 rows back on the floor, great seats. And uh, this blonde headed lady comes up to George and her and her husband and she kisses him on the cheek. And she said, George, you have meant so much to me and my family. My father loves you. You've been so much to our career. You know, we just love working with you in the fairs. We want to continue this. And she's chatting and chatting and 
she goes to sit down and he nudges me and he says, do you know who that is? And I said, well, no. But he said, that's Barbara Mandrell. He said, she's a big star in this business. I said, oh, okay, if you say so, I guess. I don't know, you know. <laughs> Couple minutes later, tall black gentleman comes up and it's the same routine. Mr. Moffat, we sure enjoy the relationship and all the work and the fairs and he's going on and on the same thing. And he goes away and George looks at me and says, you know who that was? I said, no, that's Charlie Pride. He said, he's a big star in this business too. And I said, oh, okay, if you say so, you know, I'm, okay, I'm just checking it out. I'm looking around. And next thing I know, these four guys come up. Scraggly jeans, torn jeans, beards, long hair. I knew who this is, it's Alabama. And they spent 15 minutes with him laughing and joking and telling jokes and talking about the fairs they played on the road. And I'm looking and thinking, these people are genuine. They like him. You yeah. can see this. This isn't put on. This is the real deal. You know, I'm thinking, my God, I didn't realize he was this. You know, I was just George to me. Yeah. So halfway through the halfway through the show, he disappears. And I don't see him till the after show. And I said, Where did you go? He said, Well, I went backstage to go to the bathroom. He said, Don't you know I ran into Dolly? And she started talking about the old days. And I said, the old days? And he said, oh, yeah. And that's when he said, you know, I used to book the part in Family Band. He said they traveled in a station wagon, and they had a stand-up base on top of the station wagon, pull a little trailer behind it. And he said, I booked them those little town festivals. And he said, she started talking about that and laughing about that. And he said, I never got back out there to the front. So <laughs> he got lost. <laughs> wow. True story. True story. The stories we get in this industry, they're they're pretty wild. You know, the whole point we've been doing this podcast is to be telling the stories from this industry um, uh, throughout the whole pandemic and, and the challenges we faced. Um, so I want to kind of pivot over to that here right quick. Looking back earlier at 2020, is there a point that you realized that virus was going to cause a hell of a lot of disruption in our industry? Well, we were at the fair conventions in January and I was watching TV and I was watching China build hospitals in seven to 10 days and thinking, Jesus, Christ, we shouldn't want that over here. And then I was at an, an IEBA board meeting in Nashville in February. And of course, COVID came up in conversation because they were having cancellations in Asia and one insurance carrier had like a $60 million claim for cancellations, one carrier. So, we were kind of abreast of it and just kind of keeping an eye on it. And then when I got back to Ohio, I met with my staff and said, if this hits like it could, it could devastate us, you know, for the year. It really could. And like two weeks later, uh, Governor DeWine of Ohio was shutting down all of the high school championship tournaments. Mm. He had canceled the NCAA tournament and he had canceled an event in Columbus, Ohio called the Arnold which is a big Schwarzenegger bodybuilding event. People come in from all over the world and Schwarzenegger was so mad. He said, I'll never come back to Ohio because of this. Well, the governor was doing the right thing of shutting things down. And second week of March, I guess it was, we shut the office down. March 23rd, actually, we shut the office down. That's I rough. didn't start getting cancellations. Oh my God, yeah. Yeah, but I didn't start getting cancellations from my fairs um, the Delaware State Fair was the first one, and that was in April. And 
they were going to have a fair though. They were going to, you know, get all the PPE gear and have a fair, but they had to cancel the concerts. And the reason being, every time they would try to sell tickets and put something on Facebook, I mean, the general public would just lambaste them. Yep. How can you think about selling tickets? You know, we're in a pandemic, people are dying, you know, and just, so they had to pull things down. Yeah, so that's exactly what, had, what John uh, Sykes faced down at East Texas, somewhere in, um, I forget what he said, April or early May, you know, he was on TV and somebody asked, you know, well, are you going to have a fair? And he was, you know, his, he and his team were like, yeah, we're going full speed ahead on this thing. Because, of course, by, you know, April and May, you're thinking, you know, by June or July, this thing peters out and, and we get to have a fair. And they, man, he told me they heard it from their public, you know, how insensitive they were to people dying and on and on and on. And so they went, well, okay, maybe we need to rethink this. Because we didn't know what was going on. Nobody knew. Everybody yeah. was scared. But everybody had hope that we was going to have a summer. And as we continued to get further into it, the calls kept coming in and it just started right there. It was just like a snowball. Uh, and as many held out as they could to the last minute, but... Most of ours, probably 30 days ahead, were all canceled. You know, at what the time they'd met with their local health department and got the state mandates, they knew what they was going to have to do or not do. Uh, but we had 90% of our stuff just rolled over to next year, to this yeah. year, excuse me. Um, and everybody played nice because, again, it was nobody's fault. Yep. Um, I'm, I'm curious from an agency standpoint, as you start getting cancellations roll in, I mean, you're talking about, you know, you said earlier you do about 1,100 contracts a year. I assume you had a lot of phone calls to make and emails to send out. What are you feeling when you have to tell, a, you know, a grounds act that, you know, they're relying on you to get them booking so that they can run their business. And now you got to tell them it's all going away for this year. What are you feeling as you start well, making those phone calls? It's heartbreaking because as you know, you can't just come up and do two or three weeks. You need a route. You need a solid route of at least eight or 10 weeks, if not 12 or 16, like a carnival. Carnival can't just come out and do two or three weeks. Can't drag all that gear out. So it's heartbreaking. And, you know, the thing is, we're all in the same boat together. You know, not just us, but you got the grounds acts. You've got the agents in Nashville. You've got the guys who drive the buses for the entertainers. You got the guy that owns the buses. You got the guy that sells the t-shirts, the guy that prints the t-shirts, you got the band, the crew, you've got so many in this big boat and, you know, we just keep looking for daylight, but it's, it's heartbreaking to tell these grounds acts because again, you know, the summertime is when their money is made. That's, that's it. Yeah. We, you know, when you, I look at my schedule last year, we lost the Sydney Royal Easter show canceled, which he, they canceled about two days before we were going to call them and, and pull the plug on it from our end, just because the, the risk of international travel at that point. And I, we didn't want to fly down and, you know, halfway over the Pacific ocean, you know, have Australia announced nobody's allowed in, you know what I mean? Oh, and, and then yeah, we're absolutely. stranded, like we're sitting in customs, like Tom Hanks in the movie terminal going, you know, what do we got to stay here for two weeks before we can get on a plane to fly home? What do we do? Um, you can set you your know, show up there. What's that? You could set your show up in the airport. Yeah, yeah I could have, except it would have been it would have been uh, already sitting over at the uh, City Olympic Park, ready to go. So, oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we would have we it would have been a, a 
you know, a mess. When we spoke with Marla Calico, she was in down in Australia for an event last January and she was starting to feel the same concern. Would she even be able to get out of the, the country um, at that point, just because of the way things were starting to advance so quickly overseas. But yeah, a lot of us are so many entertainers, you know, it's like June to sep- June through September. That's when or October, that's when we make our, you know, we make our year and not many of us got even a, a shot to make much last year. Um, obviously my hope would be that for those 2020 acts that were canceled, that they'll be able to return in 21, but you know, that may not always be the case. I think for a lot of, a lot of performers, for most part, we can stash our stuff, put our stuff in storage or, I mean, you know, jugglers just got their props paid for and it's sitting in a closet someplace. But when you think about the pig races and the sea lion shows and the, all the animal acts, the tiger shows and all that kind of thing, there's a ton of overhead. Do you think um, all of these kinds of acts in our industry are going to be able to make it back in 21 or 22? Or are we going to look at some acts that are going to sadly go out of business? What do you think? I think there'll be some that are marginal and probably will go out of business um, because it's not cheap. I mean, you figure all the expense, they, they just think how much it costs to feed a tiger alone. Yes. yes. You know, but your travel expenses, again, you know, you know, most of those guys travel around a semi and another truck or two with it. Yep. And uh, it's very rough. The ones who've been here for many years have probably had a little bit of, of money stashed away to survive, but it's still tough. Still tough. Yeah, it sure is. I know when we spoke with uh, Jimmy Earhart from the Sea Lion Splash, um, the advantage for him and, and I think for some of those guys is because, like you say, they do travel with large trucks. They're, they already have CDLs. And so yes. they put their trucks to work driving for you know, you know Amazon or shipping companies or whatever they need to do to try to keep some, um, some revenue flowing. And I, I really admire that, the, the guys that have been able to get out there and continue hustling. Um, but man, it, my, my heart breaks for everybody because my gut feeling is by the time this is all said and done, we're going to probably see a, a bit of a contraction within our industry of, of fairs that end up closing. Um, I know Clark County in Nevada just announced um, it was either late yesterday or early this morning. They announced that they've canceled their 21 show. You know, I, I, I don't know how long fairs can go without operating and still be in business. Even if it's not the fair, that, you, know, you know, the grounds yeah, need to get the non-fair. Yeah. You need that non-fair rental, you know, the gun show and the boat show and the home show and all that stuff coming into your buildings, you know, for so many fairs, that's actually more than half their revenue, but I don't know how they survive if they, these governors don't start giving a little bit. I know here in New Mexico, we feel like we've been on a roller coaster because we had a, you know, our governor said back in December, we, she had this very convoluted, um gating criteria county by county red yellow and green as far as like when schools could open and schools weren't allowed to open until the county that they were located in had been green for two weeks well some analysts went and looked at it and from Bernalillo county which is where albuquerque is it was going to be like 22 week 26 weeks something like that before we even got to yellow well then two weeks ago or 10 10 days ago when she does her state of the state address she turns around and says okay schools can open february 8th and the schools are sitting here. Albuquerque Public Schools sitting here going, you know, we've had some plans in place, but you got to give us some notice. It takes us 30 days to hire bus drivers and get all the, you know, the bus people, bus drivers recertified and get food ordered and get like, it's just, a, it's a ridiculous. Yeah, there is planning, yes. It, it's a ridiculous mess. what happens mess. if you go from, what happens if you go from green back to yellow? 
exactly well and for Bernalillo County it's it's almost impossible to meet those criteria simply because being the largest county um, population wise in the state we've got the majority of the hospitals which means people that are coming from getting you know brought in from other areas are filling our ICUs it's not only Bernalillo County that's filling it I mean she's been bringing people in from Arizona from Mexico from Texas from Colorado because their ICUs are full and so they're filling them up here and it's like well Bernalillo County's still at red they're not you know it just wow. it doesn't make any sense and then for her to just turn around conveniently a week after somebody else took office in washington and be like okay you can reopen schools it it pissed a lot of people off i think it's been very i can imagine it's been really stressful for people um and i get both sides i've got friends that are like we need to lock this thing down and we need to save lives and at the same time while i am completely empathetic to that and, and compassionate for those especially i mean my parents are in their 70s if they were to contract this thing they're probably not going to be in great shape you know and i don't want anything to happen to them at the same time we've got people all across this country and all across the world that are falling into you know, drug and alcohol addiction and committing suicide because they've lost everything because they've been told you're not allowed to work. You have to stay home. There's yeah. two sides to this whole thing. There very much is. You're right. We just hope we see some daylight here and more of the vaccine keeps getting rolled out. Yeah. And rolled out. Um, I watched that documentary uh, Sunday morning on Gillette Stadium where they've got the vaccines rolling out up there, 5,000 a day. Yeah, very well organized, and more of the NFL stadiums are going to jump on board. We hope, and we just try to stay optimistic. That's what we try to do. Yeah, I mean, I can, I know Expo New Mexico. That's we've talked about it so many times on on the show. I, the public sees our events, and they see that Ferris wheel lit up for you know a week or ten days out of the year, and then they think that grounds you know just sits there. It's kind of out of sight, out of mind. But for Expo New Mexico, which is where they host the New Mexico State Fair here in Albuquerque, that went from the largest COVID testing site in the state to now the largest vaccine distribution site in the state. But, you know, we, our grounds across this industry have incredible impact on our communities. A lot of people don't realize that, but they should. They should for sure. I sure wish they would. I'm, I'm curious from your end of things as, as an agent, are you and your team at Variety, I, I, you're keeping in touch with fairs. Are you seeing any new requirements and in, in renewed contracts um, that attractions be COVID safe or have, you know, certain mitigating, you know, mitigation strategies with the attraction? There's been a lot of language back and forth trying to find what fits. Uh, we've seen a lot of things come out. What do you think of this? What do you think of that? Um, nothing firm yet, but the bottom line probably is providing a safe environment and complying with your local and state health departments. Um, you know, I think Live Nation said they was going to require a vaccine card to buy tickets to concerts. I don't know that that was ever verified. I know they talked about it, yeah, but I don't think fairs could get into that. Then people talked about taking temperatures before everybody comes in. Well, you know how that's going to go on a fair, you've got how many entrances and it's just not practical. A lot of stuff that is for fairs, but I think it's just, again, we're sitting and waiting to see, you know, how things go. Um, places are being proactive and doing the uh, touchless bathrooms and sinks and paper dispensers and doing what they can to be proactive. 
but as far as the language goes, yeah, we're seeing a lot of it in the contract, but it's not nothing definite yet. They're just kind of testing the waters with it. Um, it's it's all over the board, really. Well, I'm and curious what's what going to happen. Like last year, it's going to come down like last year to individual conversations with us, our client, and the agent of the artist. That makes sense. And, and I'm curious, you know, since we're talking about contracts, you know, there could be some different contract language as far as like, I know I've had um, a couple of affairs that canceled la um, last year that canceled Conjure Fortune Machine have, have, you know, called up and we've had conversations about, you know, what can you do to make the fortune machine COVID safe? Because right now, like the window, there's, it's open air windows, there's no glass or anything in it. And, uh, you know, so we're looking at three or four different things we can do to make that attraction safer. But there's the other, there's a flip side of this that we as entertainers and agents, we just kind of got our butts handed to us in the form of, especially for so many attractions that were rolling in Florida last spring, where the flights were bought, hotels were paid for, they were on, you know, in some cases, like you look at Sarasota or Indian River County or Miami, they were on site ready to go. The dollars had been spent and then they got canceled and and i from one talking to acts in some cases there was there was no payment whatsoever in some cases there was a little bit of a negotiation with the fair where they helped offset or cover at least the cost to get them be able to get them home are you guys as agents are you seeing anything that would maybe help protect some acts in the future so they don't get completely clobbered in the event of cancellations in 21 we're actually working on some language for our grounds acts um, that state very similar to what you're saying there, that if the venue cancels seven days prior, um, there's like a deposit due of 25% of the fee for the artist. Sure. Now, however, if the grounds acts on the grounds and set up and ready to go and the event cancels, then it's 50% sure. paid to the artist. Still trying to be fair to everybody, be fair to the fair and be fair to the act. Right. The act's got expenses, and of course, as you know, the biggest expense is getting there. Yes. Period. Yes. Uh, well, and in so talking we're, to we're other acts, that language around. Yeah, for sure. And I know in talking to other acts, it's you know, if we if we've got flights that we've paid for in advance, sometimes you know we we're going to rent a car. Well, you can rent it for you know twenty nine dollars a day when you get there, and then it, you can have it's refundable if you cancel. But a lot of times you can get it's twenty one dollars a day or nineteen. You know, there's a difference if you pay for it all in advance, and then it's unfortunately non refundable. Well, all those costs add up, and if you've got a run of three or four fares that cancel, and all of a sudden you're out three, four, five thousand dollars. Um, you know, my feeling I, in my my situation, I didn't. You know, I was dealing with. Um, Sydney going to Australia last year. So I didn't really have any of those Florida fairs on my schedule, but I can see where it would definitely be helpful because it's not about, you know, making money. It's about mitigating the loss. Um, so exactly. I think, I think there's going to be um, an area where we can protect the acts and still protect the fairs. Cause you know, I don't think it's necessarily fair. None of the, like you said earlier in the show, nobody asked for this. Nobody want, you know, I, none of us want to be on unemployment insurance or having to deal with PPP loans or anything. We'd all much rather be going out and getting on stage and doing what we do. That's what, that's our job. Um, and the fairs certainly want to have an event. So I don't think they're, you know, they should be on the hook for paying a hundred percent of the fee. Um, if they're canceled, especially if it's their health department that closes them through no fault of their own. 
but I definitely would like to see something where it, it, entertainers at least don't completely, you know, not only do they lose the event, they lose all that money on, on uh, upfront expenses. So I'm glad to hear that you yeah, guys are. We are, yeah, we are working on language and we've been bouncing around with our people and a couple other um, companies who book grounds act as well, getting their thoughts and just trying to come up with a happy medium for everybody. So. Well, it, I think a happy medium and, and patience, and I've said it over and over again, patience and empathy are, are going to be real keys to this. Um, come on, as we start to come back on this, do you think that acts, because it's been, I've heard it both multiple ways. I've heard some acts say, I'm actually going to take this opportunity to raise my fee. I've heard some acts say, I'm not touching my fee. And I've heard some acts say, I may end up having to take it, you know, we may end up having to take a little hit in order to help fares get back on their feet. Where do you think, you know, and I know you don't have a crystal ball uh, between the two of us. I'm the one that does the fortune machine. So I should have the answer. To this. <laughs> but uh, where do you, where do you see fee structures going over the next say 24 months? Do you think grounds actually are going to end up having to back off their fee a little bit or, or hold, hold Pat? What do you think? I think they're going to hold Pat. I don't see them increasing at all out of all of the reschedules and cancellations. I had one act that said, you know, I should get an increase. And they just kind of said a few things they want to say on here to him <laughs> because he was the only one, you know, I said, my God, you know, the fair lost last year, they lost all their money. They don't have anything. There's no increase. And he said, okay, all right. But I think it's going to stay the same because again, they got their expenses too. Sure. You know, you can't back, you can't backpedal. Unless well, your expenses are going to backpedal. Yeah. And the expenses, I don't think, um, you know, more people, fares that have mortgages and got to pay their electricity. I don't think the power company is all of a sudden going to be like, oh, we're going to give you a 50% discount for the year. I don't, right. I don't see that happening. That's you know, right. we've, we've all got our, our, our costs and, the, and expenses. Um, it's interesting, going to be interesting to see how things are moving forward. Cause I think on one hand, you've got um, like the Florida strawberry festival that has canceled their, you know, their, their concert series because they don't want to cram people in and certainly they could spread people out in there, but at what point do you say, well, we're, you know, limited to 40% attendance that you go, we've got to make if 60% attendance is the break even point, then you're just going to lose money. And it makes no sense to continue doing that. So I know entertainers that are saying, well, they'll probably take that budget and roll it over to ground Zach's. If they've got the cash to do that, they may, but my general sense is it's more likely across the industry that, you know, a, a fair that might have had a half million dollar entertainment budget might only have a $200,000 entertainment budget now. And so I kind of feel like there's going to be less bandwidth for grounds acts to compete in. I don't know what you're seeing on that front. What do you, what do you see? Well, I actually think there's probably going to be, fairs going to be booking more grounds acts. You think? In case they run into this where they can't have the grandstand, they can at least have more grounds acts out there, more strolling acts out there. That's kind of what the Delaware State Fair did uh, last year. You know, they canceled the grandstand, but they beefed up the grounds entertainment. You know, they had racing pigs. They had the Surge Corona Circus. They had strolling acts. Um, they had probably 10 grounds acts there. And normally they do about five. So I think that's probably what's going to happen. Fairs will beef up the grounds acts if they can't do the grandstand. Sure. I, yeah, I mean, I would like that. And, and it's... I, I've always found it to be there's there's a balance. Each fair, is, they've got to find their own balance for their community because I've seen some fairs that they bring in 
you know, 10 nights of concerts and they, they get their tails handed to them when it's like, you know, if you were to bring in concerts on each Friday and Saturday night and then, and put the rest of the money into grounds acts, you would have a much more family friendly event and give more value to your guests. But everybody, you know, every firm is different. They're serving different demographics and different communities that have different needs. Um, I wonder though, when you're looking at contracts, um, you know, is it possible that um, if it was necessary, you could even look at restructuring contracts? Um, You know, I mean, we just got, we're finishing up, um, you know, free agency for major league baseball. And I always look at those contracts and how they're structured where maybe there's, you know, they've got like deferred money where it's this much in one year and this much another year. Do you ever have fares? structure um contracts like that where maybe like if they did a two-year deal there was deferred money so maybe in 21 the act would take 85 percent of their fee and then the balance would be in the second year i'm just trying to think of ways just to make sure that you know fairs can stretch their dollars and and make sure that they continue to stay uh, financially viable we've not ran into that yet within the grounds acts i mean we've got several on three-year contracts at a fair but usually it's all payable that year. Nothing Got it. staggered. But you think say that can't change either, you know? Sure. Well, and if it comes down to it, I mean, if a fair, I, I feel like for me, if a fair was to say, you know, hey, Robert, listen, we got our butts handed to us last year. We can't pay this full amount, but we want to have you back. I mean, for, I guess for me, it maybe it comes down to the act for me personally, I'd be willing to restructure within reason. I mean, I'm not going to be like, here, let me come work for 50% off this year, but um, you know, a little restructuring helps support the fair and build that relationship with the fair. Then, I mean, I, I'd be willing to at least discuss it. Yeah. I think, again, I think it's going to be a per case basis, you know, when you, you get in a situation like that and again, the act might say, Hey, I understand it, you know, give me this much this year and, and bring us back next year and we'll get the rest in and, Anything's possible. Yeah, and I just think, uh, you know, I think flexibility is going to be key. Um, I'm curious, uh, you know, you guys are, you're always out there at IFE. You've been in the industry a real long time. How do you think trade shows look moving forward? Do you think we we continue to just have these, um, you know, the 10 by 10 booths and everybody's wandering around? or Or do you think maybe we go more to, you know, a virtual trade show or, you know, have like a, a host hosted buyer kind of sessions where it's like a, a one-on-one speed dating kind of deal where you get to meet with each fair for like three minutes. Like, what do you, what do you think look trade shows look like going forward? I don't know that the fair industry is ready for the virtual version of it. Um, you know, if it was a college market, I'd say, Oh my God, yes. Virtual version, yeah. but our industry, it's getting better, of course. But if he was going into the state conventions and had a virtual convention or virtual trade show, I'm not sure how it's going to go over because a lot of our clients are 65 and up. Yep. And again, didn't grow up in that computer social media world like a lot of the new fair people have. So I don't know. We did the virtual IAFE. It was okay for us. We did virtual Michigan. Um, it wasn't so okay for us. Um, but I don't know. I kind of wonder if trade shows are going to have any bearing moving forward because things are booked so far ahead anymore. Um, you know, with things rolled over this year, and now we're already booking stuff for 22 on ground tax because wow. people are ready to, to lock in. And by the time you get to the trade show, 
there's not a lot available anymore. Right. Yeah, you, that the prime act that you're looking for might be 24 to 36 months away before you can get your hands on it. Exactly. It was kind of like, you know, when the sea lions were red, red hot. I yep. mean, people were waiting two or three years to yeah. get to sea lions because they were just that hot and they were drawing people in. The sea lions were one of those shows that we call like a spectacular because they drew people through the gates to see them, kind of like the tigers do. You know, exotic yep. animals always brought people in to see them because you couldn't just see them every day. You mentioned uh, a minute ago, you mentioned in the college market, you know, the virtual environment might work. The other thing they do in the college market, I remember this from my uh, my campus activity days back in uh, a while ago. <laughs> um, you know, we'd go when our campus activities group would go to NACA or, or whatnot they were heavily involved in the cooperative buying program that allowed them to get acts at a discounted rate. You ever see fairs, the fair industry as a whole? I know there's a couple of places, some fairs that will work together with others, but do you ever see it as a whole that cooperative buying could, could get a foothold within our industry? We have some that do that, that will two or three will be together for grounds acts. We do have that. Um, for national entertainers, probably not. Yeah. But the national entertainers are a little more flexible in the college market because they want that demographic. They want to develop that fan base with that younger genre. That's true. Um, but yeah, we've got some, some fairs that will go two or three together and book a grounds acts with us. Uh, we've got a couple in Iowa, a couple in Pennsylvania, and I think a couple in West Virginia to do that. Yeah, and then does it on your end is the act? Is there a little discount from the act if the you know someone three fairs walk up and there say, "Hey, we'll get you thirty days June to the beginning of July," but we want to pay yes. this, you know? Yeah, it yep. makes sense. I can tell Absolutely. you if I had three fairs roll up on me and say, "Hey, Robert, we got you thirty days," but we, this is you know what our budget looks like. I'm a lot more flexible if you're going to drop thirty days in my lap because then I've got a route. Um, you know, I spend a lot of, and, and you know this, you've been in the industry long enough. A lot of the grounds acts will spend. Um, you know, we'll go make a run, you know, a 18 hour jump for a five day fair. And then we've got a week off and then, you know, it's another 12 hour jump for a six day fair. And it's like, you know, if you can put these back to back to back, that saves yep. us considerably. Yeah. And you drive 150 miles in 30 days. Yes. That's a lot better than the year. that. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you, there was one year where I had, I finished at OC fair out in Costa Mesa, you know, it was August, I don't know, August 12th. And I had to be in Maryland for Labor Day. Well, I'm like, well, I got two weeks in there, but boy, it'd be nice to fill something in. And well, I got a, I get a phone call from the Illinois State Fair. I'm like, they're the weekend. They actually opened the weekend um, that OC closed. It was the year that they had all that flooding and the campground got flooded out of Illinois and Springfield. And um, so they gave me a call and I told them I could do their back five days. And I did a 28 hour jump in two and a half days. I will never Ooh. do that again. That was, Ooh. that was, a, I'm just going to be straight about it. It was dangerous. It was the yeah, point. Very much so. It, it got to the point where at the end of the second day, I mean, it, it was ridiculous. I made it from, um, uh, post to Mesa. I made, I stopped in Albuquerque to see my family for about an hour on lunch and then made it over to Amarillo. And then from Amarillo, I made it just North of St. Louis stopped off at IEFE to visit some, you know, visit everybody at the, at the main office and then i had that wednesday i had i want to say it was about two hours into springfield and then i had to load in and do four shows that day so i will never do that again 
That was ridiculous. I take it you were younger, right? Oh, that would have been, yeah, I bet I was about 32, <laughs> 33. No, I was, not, I, I was not 41. <laughs> I, um, but you know, you're right that the travel, the travel, and then you got to set up and do shows. That's yes. that's the kicker. You travel that way, then you got to set up and do the show as soon as you get there. That's tough. Yeah. And oh God, Illinois was so hot and humid. God bless those people for what they put up with. Cause man, it was, um, it was tough. It was a rough time. I can tell you, it was nice that after that, when that finished, I had four days to make, I think it's like 13 hours from Springfield over to, uh, uh, to Timonium where to Baltimore, where the Maryland state fair is. And I had four days to make the drive. So I made like a, I left and I drove over to Columbus, Ohio, which I think is like five hours. And I just stopped. I'm like, I was done by like two o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> so I'm going to yeah. take the, rest of the evening. Yeah. I'm going to get in a hotel and I'm just going to chill. And I sat there watching uh, shark tank all evening and got a good night's sleep and kind of reset myself. But yeah, those, those long jumps like that are pretty dangerous. And uh, I, I would choose not, not to do that again. If I could, I mean, I'll make a, I don't mind making 12 hours. I've been doing that a long time. I, you know, my wife grew up in South Mississippi. And so I drive in Albuquerque down to Biloxi, Mississippi is about 19 hours. Well, used to do that nice two day drive, but even now there's a lot of times that's a nice three day drive because we just, there's why rush, you know? Yep. Exactly. And of course, a lot of acts now with the CDLs, those new DOT laws, yeah, you know, shuts them down pretty quick. Yeah. We look at that, you know, well, it's overnight, but you gain an hour, you know, and then we take it back to the act and they'll say, well, you know, we can tear down if we get an early show out and a late show in and, you know, put all the parameters together. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. You never know. Yep. And that just, uh, all of those things factor into why when a fair, you know, fairs roll up and say, we can get you 30 days or 25 days, you know, through Iowa in, in June and, and you only got to drive, you know, 90 miles to the next next event um yeah there's a value to that and and that's why prices can get a little better when they do that i tell you it's just been and in june yeah in june i mean that's that you're getting a prime time you can if you can put me in one place and i don't have to go from you know albuquerque to ohio from ohio to georgia from georgia to texas from texas back up to i like you keep me in one place where i'm i do 200 miles in a month i'm all about that all day long i'll do that <laughs> Very happy. <laughs> and uh, man, just what a hell of a year it's been. You know, when I look back, um, I can't even hardly remember this time last year because it feels like, it, you know, it, 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 when you look at it, the years it, at time, you have AD and, and BC. And I'm like, it almost feels like this is there's pre-COVID and, and post-COVID. Like, do you remember this time last year? Before all well, I do, loose. we we were just again coming back from all the state conventions because we hit every one of those state conventions in January pretty much probably twelve of them, and we were just winding down from those, and really it didn't start to really hit me until I went to my IEBA meeting and we had the conversations about it and the potential, and then I started getting concerned, and that's when it really hit me, right there. Yeah. How long do you think it'll be gut feeling? I, I know you're not, uh, like I said, you don't have a crystal ball and you're not a scientist or epidemiologist. How long do you think before things really, things start to pull back in our favor? Semi-normal. Semi-normal, you think? 
Yeah, semi-normal. Like, we're open, but you still got to wear masks and have some social distancing, but you can open otherwise. You know what I mean? When See, I keep being very optimistic, and I keep watching the, the percentage of vaccinations, and I don't think May or June is safe yet. You know, I just had an amphitheater in Ohio I booked, and we've moved all of our June shows to 2022. Got it. Um, but needless to say, everyone has high hopes for July that we'll be able to get something in in July. Hopefully things can operate in July at a, you know, best as can be manner. But again, it's so day to day, we just don't know. Right. Yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, I remember talking to um, Jeremy Parsons up there in Clay County up in Spencer and his feeling was if they can get a 21 show, it's not going to be open in full. Of course, they're planning for that. They're planning multiple, whether it's, is it in full? Is it at 60%? Is it, you know, what does it look like? They got a couple different tracks they're working on. Um, but his feeling is he described it was that 2021 was basically going to be the lifeboat that gets their fair to 2022 where they can yeah. hopefully open more. Is that when you're talking affairs, is that kind of the, the vibe you're getting is that they need something this year? Um, that, yes, so that they get absolutely. a 22. Yes. And like um, Delaware, Harrington, the state fair, Delaware is doing what's called delayed fulfillment on their tickets. So their tickets have been on sale since uh, uh, Black Friday, did a Christmas stock, stocking stuffer promotion. And what delayed fulfillment is, they're, they're selling, I think, 50% of the capacity. Right. So if you and your wife wanted to go see Pitbull, you buy two tickets. You got your tickets. You just don't know what row or what seat you're in, but you're guaranteed those two tickets. And then once they know for sure what capacity they're going to have to sell, mm -hmm. you'll see where you're sitting at. But you at least got, got your tickets. So at least they're selling tickets, creating some momentum, getting some conversations going. We've got others who are waiting to see how things are rolling out. Um, the York State Fair just announced uh, the 29th of January, their entire lineup. And yep. they've got tickets on sale. Um, Sticks REO has already paid for itself. Kane Brown's already paid for himself. I mean, the shows, people want to get out. People are buying tickets. Yeah. Uh, and again, it's a per case basis. The, the venue in Ohio, I was just telling you about, they can't really put tickets on sale because of the capacity. They can only sell 600 tickets out of 4,500 tickets. And that doesn't pay the bills for Josh Groban. Exactly. Or, sticks the night ranger or pitbull or shine down you know all these you know more expensive acts it's just not going to work so what we've done in a lot of our contracts is have some language put in there that you know if the venue is forced to re to um work on reduced capacity then the conversation happens or the renegotiation you know with the management and with the agent you know we can only sell 50 percent can we work with the artist? Will the artist work with us, reduce his fee to make this work for everybody? So we right. can still do the show. The artist has got a band, he has to pay, we understand that. But can we all come together here? And if it doesn't work out, then both parties just walk away from it. Yeah. So it's just the name of the game right now is just uh, transparency and flexibility. Make sure you're, you're communicating Absolutely. with your agents and your artists and your venues and you know, no hurt feelings. If it doesn't work out, you know, everybody knows we're all in kind of a crappy situation and we're making the best of it. Is that kind of the vibe from all the artists and, and whatnot? Absolutely. Because everybody wants to get back to work. 
you know, and the biggest concern too is that what we don't think about all these guys and these crews of these bands, they've been off for a year. A lot of them have got jobs now in Nashville or wherever. They've got full-time yeah. jobs. Yeah. Are they going to want to come back to work on the road? You know, they no, might we, like sleeping in their own bed every day. Well, you know, and they also, the road and, there's also the concern that, okay, you know, so, you know, I'm a drummer for so-and-so, but now I've got a, you know, a job in Nashville and they want me to come back out on the road. Well, if I commit and go with them and give up this job, what happens then when the show eventually gets canceled anyway? Because there's, like you say, we're day to day. There's so much unknown. Um, yeah, I can see where that's, that's an issue. When I spoke with uh, Jimmy from Sea Lion Splash, you know, he was having, he'd just gotten a, a, another family trained. They were getting ready to send a unit out. Um, you know, so he spends all that time and money bringing them into it, him, into his compound to train them on how to do the show and how to interact with the sea lions and feed them and do all that stuff. And then the pandemic hits. Well, these folks have gone off and gotten gotten other work. So, and and they're probably not going to be back. That becomes a real challenge then for artists that have multiple units or have, you know, like you say, a band that's got to pay a drummer and a a bassing. You know that that all adds up so it takes a while to train people to work with the sea lions too oh sure as it does any act you know sure. you know especially when you're but dealing what we're with... seeing too is a lot of the acts you have to plan ahead you can't just lease buses and trucks a month ahead of time you need to be planning your tours you know several months in advance and they're calling and asking how does this bear look how does this bear look how does this bear look have you heard from this bear well no everybody's planning on going ahead till they're told that they can't yeah but again again the artists have to lease buses they have yep. to lease trucks they have to hire their crew and put that stuff together yep. and you can't do that to go out and work two or three days a month yeah it just doesn't work that way it's no different than our of what happened to our public schools the other week like i was saying when the governor finally said okay you can go back february 8th well you're giving them 10 days to do 30 days worth of work and and you know, Albuquerque schools ultimately said, well, let's kick the can down the road a little bit and wait another two weeks to make a decision, which just doesn't make sense to me, but you know, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's things they got to deal with. They got to get bus drivers hired. They got to get the food ordered for the cafeterias. They got all that kind of stuff. And, um, that stuff doesn't just happen overnight. So just like the, you know, with the artists, we need a little advanced warning. I, I feel very lucky as a grounds act that, you know, with an act that is, all of my business stuff within the act is paid for the September of 19 before the, the, um, the pandemic hit, we managed to get all of our business debt paid off, which thank God we did. Cause with no, no business, it'd be kind of hard to pay for it right now. Um, we're ready to go. You know, I'll, I literally could be someplace this weekend if I had to, um, but that's easy for me because my stuff's sitting in the garage and I can throw it in the truck and I can't hit the road. Like you say, so many, you know, if you want to get a, a major band out there and they've got all this advanced planning they got to do, it's a lot, of, a lot to ask of them, especially when there's no guarantee that the fair still happens. You know what I mean? I do. And, and a concern is on the artist end, okay, we've got a four day run here in July. What happens if three of those dates fall out and you got one standing there by itself? Right. You know, then, then the question comes out, can we afford to do that? That's when the conversation has to happen again. You know, can we make this work like that? Yeah. But then again, look at our friends in the carnival business. So in 2019, let's say you bought a new ride for $3 million. Yep. 
and that ride didn't turn one time in 2020. You know, it's going to turn a lot of times to pay for itself. And now you're concerned, is it going to turn in 21? Yeah. Yeah, because those ride operators, those guys, we spoke with Jay Straits. They know, we get it because they know when, you know, if they're going to spend $3 million or two and a half or $4 million on a ride system, they know how many times it's got to spin around in order to, you know, how many ride bands got to get sold in order to make that thing profitable within, you know, I don't know what their typical time span is, five years or something like that. Um, And if it's sitting, you know, if it's sitting there parked, it isn't doing anything. And like Jay Straits told us, those things get lot rot, you know, they got to take them out every oh, yeah. few, every, I forget what he said. I'd have to go back and listen to the episode six weeks or something like that and plug them in, turn them on and run them for a day or so. And just to keep them all greased up and working. Cause they'll lot rot out and then they're dangerous. Yeah. I mean, put them up, take them down just to do that. And that's, that's an experience. Again, like that big, like that big boat I was talking about earlier. See the carnival guys in that big boat with us, just yep. like the food vendors. You know, it's just a big boat. Yep. We're all looking for daylight for sure. My goodness. Well, I think we're going to find it. My gut feeling I continue to say is I think somewhere around June or July, um, depending on vaccine distribution and, you know, ICU capacities um, dropping so that they're more open. My sense is that needle starts to pull back a little bit in our favor. Um, But I still think um, we're going to be transitioning into – for the foreseeable future, probably the next 18 to 36 months. I think late 2022 is, could be the first opportunity that we see fully open fairs and that we're good to go. Um, but I, it wouldn't, surprise, normal, yes. it, it wouldn't surprise me if we're looking at even at, at early 23. Um, and depending on what state, I mean, God, California, those fairs are in, some of them are in big, big trouble um, because the way their their governor and their their legislature have handled things, um, you know. So we'll we'll see what happens. I, but in the meantime, even if it's not the fair opening, if uh, if they can start getting some non-fair revenue going on, I think they'll be okay. And it's so confusing to me with all these different states that have different standards. You know, I, when I was speaking with Marla, she was talking about, you know, the North Texas State Fair. Um, can can basically be a model for the industry and how they handle things. West Texas can uh, fair can do in Abilene can be the same, and I think we've just seen it from Manatee County. I just got off the uh, recording with Danny Alfonso from Manatee. These fairs can be held safely, but if if you have a model, why is it that shows that it works and that we can mitigate spread of the disease? then why is it that you have these rules like in Colorado where they say, you know, if your event center is over 10,000 square feet or whatever the number is, you can only have say 150 people. Well, what if your event center is 50,000 or hundred thousand or 250,000 square feet? Why are you still restricting to that same number? You know what I mean? It doesn't make any sense when you could have events that could be having an RV show or a gun show or a quilt show or home show that, can start generating some revenue for the fair. I, I, it doesn't make any sense to me. And again, it's like every state is different what they're what they're doing and making us do. Yes. What what are you guys looking at up there in Ohio as far as restrictions go? Are you guys are schools open? Are you guys still virtual or what's going on there? Uh, schools are supposed to open March first. That's what the plan is right now. They've Both been capacity? virtual. They would they would start up like, and then they would. 
No, they're going back to full capacity. They they would start up and then they would somebody would be COVID and they'd shut down for two weeks and they'd start up and they'd shut down again. It was just the cycle of back and forth. And now they're saying March first is the goal to come back in class. So. Well, I sure hope they can do it. I tell you what, I got a ten-year-old in the other room who's finishing up his his class for the day, and uh, he thinks fourth grade sucks because <laughs> he's been yeah, he's, he fourth grade has been he's been experienced through a, a Google Chromebook and has not um, not been a, an enjoyable thing, you know. When you got, I think maybe, and and I may be speaking out of turn here. So if there's high school students out there that that their parents they or their parents hear this, I apologize if I'm off on this. But my sense is probably the high school kids are adapting a little easier to this. But man, I can tell you, my 10 year old just wants to be out in the playground and goofing off with his friends and just being a kid. And he can't do that right now. Oh yeah. That's, that's across the board. Uh, somebody I was talking to said they homeschool too. One is 10 and one is nine. And they said one day somebody called in a bomb threat. Yeah. To, to the house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my kid hasn't quite figured out that game. Um, you know, how do you call a snow day? I mean, we've had <laughs> we've had days. That's one thing. The district is like, there are no snow days because you're all at home and you're all virtual, so you can all be in class. Well, at the end of October, we had there's the one big storm we had of the season um, dropped about six or eight inches of snow on the ground. And it was like, I have to be in school. And I'm like, no, you don't. You can go play all you want. And he was like, yeah. I like that for sure. I just messaged his teacher and I'm like, he's good for the day. He might pop in a little bit later, but he's having fun in the snow. And the teacher's like, cool, that's no problem. As long as you got an understanding teacher. Because some of the, I tell you what, um, I've been chatting with my nephew a bit. And he's, so he's in high school and he's got some teachers that are, um, you know, they're like, you have to be in class. You have to do this. And you have, and they're very strict. And it's like, no, no, no. You really, you got to have some flexibility with these kids right now. <laughs> flexibility is really key right now. And think of these guys that are seniors right now oh. and having to go through this. Yeah. You know? It breaks my heart. My and wife was, uh, is an assistant principal, but when she was teaching, um, when she was teaching second grade, one of her second graders just graduated last year and they lived down the street from us, um, believe it or not. And it, it broke our heart that she was the poor girl, you know, you work all that time as a student and you think about that moment where you're going to walk, march across that stage to pomp and circumstance, the music playing, your family's there. It's this checkpoint in life of an accomplishment. It's a transitional moment in life and they were all denied it. And this year is about to get denied it also. And I think it's a, I just think it's a damn shame. I, my heart breaks for them. Um, I sure hope things clear up so that, you know, soon enough so that in four years when they, get a chance to march across the stage in college they at least i mean i don't know looking back it's maybe it's not that big a moment when you're when you're 41 years old uh but boy when you're 18 and you don't get to march across that stage and graduate and get your diploma it's heartbreaking oh yeah with all your lifetime friends and your classmates and your buddies and everybody absolutely yeah we we got we got to start getting stuff open it it in some fashion it just doesn't you know, to listen to the board APS board meeting the other night was just very disappointing because, you know, we've spent a year now, we're almost 12 full months into, you know, 15 days to flatten the curve. And we've spent all year being told, listen to the science, listen to the science, listen to the science. Well, 
they were perfectly fine saying listen to the science until pediatricians started saying yeah well, actually it's probably better that they're in school <laughs> and then they started fighting over That's- it and my heart breaks for our kids big time big time yes we need a magic answer for sure yeah listen uh anything else you want to add before we're uh because we're just about out of time but if you got something else to add love to hear it no i just think we all need to stay positive and uh keep looking forward and say be proactive as we can you know when people say what are you doing what have you done out there you know to to combat this well we've done this 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 and this you can't say well we've been thinking about it you don't want to hear that for sure you know you yeah say, well, well and we, as a, we made this change we made that change and we've talked about it with other other fairs on the show um the sad thing in all this to me is that if if there's any industry that's prepared already was prepared to deal with a um you know a viral or bacterial outbreak it's the fair industry i mean we've we've dealt with e coli outbreaks we've dealt with h1n1 we've dealt with avian flu we've dealt with all these you know sort of small scale pandemics um where i mean we're dealing with animals all the time on our grounds you got to make sure people staying clean and you know have proper signage and have hand washing and have all that kind of thing and we already had it disney world didn't have it there was no signage at disney world about hand washing and this that and the other no. but, you know but they're open <laughs> I, I just think, you know, I spoke with Danny Alfonso. I don't know if you ever chat with him down at Manatee County. I just had him on the show. He'll, uh, his episode's going to air here in the next, I don't know, two weeks, I think. But he told me that um, when I spoke with him, they were um, at 13 days post-fair. And that from day one of their fair, every day up to and including 13 days post-fair, their transmission rate had gone down. In Manatee County. Is that right? Wow. Right. So really? now, obviously, that's not saying that, oh, we had the fair and it helped make it go down. But right. I think it, it just, I think, serves to illustrate that if you have met the proper signage and mitigation strategies in your community is understanding what they, their part is, people aren't going to, like, you, I don't see that you're going to have a massive spike. I could see where you don't want to cram. 6,000 people all shoulder to shoulder in an amphitheater, you know, to listen to Alabama or listen to sticks or Arios, but you know, I get that when they're all right on top of each other. But I think it does, it does go to show that we can have these events at some level and do it safely. True. Very, very true. And yeah. use common sense. Yep. <laughs> common sense, boy. <laughs> if I had a nickel for every time common sense was used. <laughs> yeah. Listen, <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I might, I might be able to afford a cup of coffee if I did that. It just for all the talk, well, you hear on, oh, it's common sense, it's common sense, it's common. There is nothing common sense by what's happened in the United States in the last year. It just, oh Christ, no. It just, no. Uh, it evades all common sense. That you know, what can I say? I'm not a scientist. I am, uh, I'm an entertainer turned podcast host temporarily. So I'm going to stick with that. Listen, Todd, I appreciate you being on the show today. Before we go, everyone who comes on my show goes through a little series of speed round questions. I'm going to ask you a handful of questions. You give me your best answer for each. Are you ready? Lay it on me. Lay it on you. Question number one, iPhone or Android? iPhone. Do you prefer big parties or small gatherings? Small gatherings. When you travel, what's one item that you absolutely must have with you? My phone. 
Do you prefer boots or sneakers? Sneakers. On an airplane, window seat or aisle seat? Aisle. And who was your first celebrity crush? Hey, yay. That dumps a lot of people. <laughs> Good Lord. Uh, might have been Farrah Fawcett. You would not be the first person on the show to say that. <laughs> might have been Farrah Fawcett. Did you have the poster? That's the question. I did, yes. <laughs> yep, it was Farrah Fawcett for sure. Listen, oh, uh, Todd, there's one other, be... th- one other thing. Go one ahead. other thing. Can I say this real quick? Of course, go so ahead. So Variety Tractions is actually going to launch a podcast in April. Ex- Excellent. And it's going to be called Which Way is Catering? Because when entertainers pull up backstage, the first thing they say is, actually which say, catering? which way is the toilet? But they'll say, which way <laughs> is the catering? bathroom and That's, where's the food? Yep, which way is catering? So we're going to launch that in April and uh, just, again. That's cool. What kind, of, what kind of format are you doing with it? Like a one guest interview or multiple guests in a show? What are you looking at? It's going to be one guest. It's going to be put on by Bruce Sullivan, uh, who has been with us for two years now. He was formerly with Wisconsin State Fair, and his partner, Justine, are doing it. And it's going to be industry people. It's going to be not only fair people, but industry people, you know, some artists, some managers, um, a little bit of everybody. That's cool. Everybody. That's cool. Um, so, yeah, something different for us, you know, and... Uh, well, I'll look. I'll shot. look forward to, to listening to it. Um, certainly, I imagine. Um, well, you guys have access to you know a lot of the same people I've got access to on my show. You've got access also to people that I couldn't you know to artists and and managers and, and that I couldn't ever get in touch with. So that's going to be a really cool compliment that both of us are rolling a, a, a podcast that is that really helps build and support this industry. So I'm glad to hear you guys are doing that. You know, the interesting thing about that, you get these artists who've been touring, you know, like Garth, like Brad Paisley, Toby Keith, you know, again, starting playing fairs in their infancy and how many things have changed over the years going from those small stages that were like 12 by 18 to a stage that's 80 by 80 or catering, how it's changed or the backstage, how it's changed, just how things have changed as their careers have grown. So I think it'll be interesting for people who don't get to see or hear that every day. Right. Right. So yeah. That, that's, that'll definitely be cool. And you're, you said you're starting that in the little, little later in the spring, April. We're going to try to roll it out in April. I think they've got about six in the can right now. And um, we'd like to get another six in there before we go. Yeah. That makes uh, sense. Are you, so, is it weekly or daily? How often are you going to release episodes? That I don't know. That's up to the guys. I've tried to remove myself. So I got enough going on with it for sure. sure but that's up to them how they want to do that so well cool I'll look we're forward, looking forward to it i'll look forward to checking it out and if folks um you know there's a lot of people that got questions about entertainment right now um if as we move forward in this pandemic if folks want to reach out and get in contact with you how can they do that uh my email is at varietyattractions.com and feel free to email me i'm i check email all the time as you can imagine say that i, th- I think that might have dropped out what was the email again um, on our website, varietyattractions.com. Okay. My email is on there. You can just email got me from there and I'll respond. I've got so, my phone with me 24-7. So they can just, they can hit, hit you up on varietyattractions.com. 
Uh, Todd Bolton, CEO of Variety Attractions, man. I really appreciate you being on the show today. You've got some stories to tell. And uh, I might like to have you back on later in the year because um, certainly you've got some uh, – You've you've met with some artists and seen some artists in their infancy, and uh, I think you've got some some more fascinating stories to share. But for today, I appreciate your time and thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Robert, so much. Have a good day. Take care. You've been listening to the Fair Game Podcast. Fair Game is a production of Robert Smith Presents. For more information, please visit robertsmithpresents.com.